Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther, translated by Theodore Grabner. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians! The Apostle Paul manifests his apostolic care for the Galatians. Sometimes he entreats them, then again he reproaches them, in accordance with his own advice to Timothy. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. In the midst of his discourse on Christian righteousness, Paul breaks off and turns to address the Galatians. O oh, foolish Galatians, he cries, I have brought you the true gospel, and you received it with eagerness and gratitude. Now all of a sudden you drop the gospel. What has got into you? Paul reproves the Galatians rather sharply when he calls them fools, bewitched, and disobedient. Whether he is indignant or sorry, I cannot say. He may be both. It is the duty of a Christian pastor to reprove the people committed to his charge. Of course, his anger must not flow from malice, but from affection and a real zeal for Christ. There is no question that Paul is disappointed. It hurts him to think that his Galatians showed so little stability. We can hear him say, I am sorry to hear of your troubles, and disappointed in you for the disgraceful part you played. I say rather much on this point to save Paul from the charge that he railed upon the churches contrary to the spirit of the gospel. A certain distance and coolness can be noted in the title with which the Apostle addresses the Galatians. He does not now address them as his brethren, as he usually does. He addresses them as Galatians in order to remind them of their national trait to be foolish. We have here an example of bad traits that often cling to individual Christians and entire congregations. Grace does not suddenly transform a Christian into a new and perfect creature. Dregs of the old and natural corruption remain. The Spirit of God cannot at once overcome human deficiency. Sanctification takes time. Although the Galatians had been enlightened by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of faith, Something of their national trait of foolishness, plus their original depravity, clung to them. Let no man think that once he has received faith, he can presently be converted into a faultless creature. The leavings of old vices will stick to him, be he ever so good a Christian. Verse 1. Who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth? Paul calls the Galatians foolish and bewitched. In the fifth chapter he mentions sorcery among the works of the flesh. 
declaring that witchcraft and sorcery are real manifestations and legitimate activities of the devil we are all exposed to the influence of the devil because he is the prince and god of the world in which we live satan is clever he does not only bewitch men in a crude manner but also in a more artful fashion he bedevils the minds of men with hideous fallacies not only is he able to deceive the self-assured but even those who profess the true christian faith there is not one among us who is not at times seduced by satan into false beliefs this accounts for the many new battles we have to wage nowadays but the attacks of the old serpent are not without profit to us for they confirm our doctrine and strengthen our faith in christ many a time we were wrestled down in those conflicts with satan but christ has always triumphed and always will triumph do not think that the galatians were the only ones to be bewitched by the devil let us realize that we too may be seduced by satan verse one who hath bewitched you in this sentence paul excuses the galatians while he blames the false apostles for the apostasy of the Galatians. As if he were saying, I know your defection was not willful. The devil sent the false apostles to you, and they tallied you into believing that you are justified by the law. With this our epistle we endeavor to undo the damage which the false apostles have inflicted upon you like paul we struggle with the word of god against the fanatical anabaptists of our day and our efforts are not entirely in vain the trouble is there are many who refuse to be instructed they will not listen to reason they will not listen to the scriptures because they are bewitched by the tricky devil who can make a lie look like the truth since the devil has this uncanny ability to make us believe a lie until we would swear a thousand times it were the truth we must not be proud but walk in fear and humility and call upon the lord jesus to save us from temptation although i am a doctor of divinity and have preached christ and fought his battles for a long time i know from personal experience how difficult it is to hold fast to the truth i cannot always shake off satan i cannot always apprehend christ as the scriptures portray him sometimes the devil distorts christ to my vision but thanks be to god who keeps us in his word in faith and in prayer the spiritual witchery of the devil creates in the heart a wrong idea of christ those who share the opinion that a person is justified by the works of the law are simply bewitched their belief goes against faith and christ verse one that ye should not obey the truth paul incriminates the galatians in worse failure you are so bewitched that you no longer obey the truth I fear many of you have strayed so far that you will never return to the truth. The apostasy of the Galatians is a fine endorsement of the law, all right. 
you may preach the law ever so fervently if the preaching of the gospel does not accompany it the law will never produce true conversion and heartfelt repentance we do not mean to say that the preaching of the law is without value but it only serves to bring home to us the wrath of god the law bows a person down it takes the gospel and the preaching of faith in christ to raise and save a person verse one before whose eyes jesus christ hath been evidently set forth paul's increasing severity becomes apparent as he reminds the galatians that they disobeyed the truth in defiance of the vivid description he had given them of christ so vividly had he described christ to them that they could almost see and handle him as if paul were to say no artist with all his colors could have pictured christ to you as vividly as i have pictured him to you by my preaching yet you permitted yourselves to be seduced to the extent that you disobeyed the truth of christ verse one crucified among you you have not only rejected the grace of god you have shamefully crucified christ among you paul employs the same phraseology in hebrews six six seeing they crucify to themselves the son of god afresh and put him to an open shame it should make any person afraid to hear paul say that those who seek to be justified by the law not only deny christ but also crucify him anew if those who seek to be justified by the law and its works are crucifiers of christ what are they i like to know who seek salvation by the filthy rags of their own work righteousness can there be anything more horrible than the papacy an alliance of people who crucify christ in themselves in the church and in the hearts of the believers of all the diseased and vicious doctrines of the papacy the worst is this if you want to serve god you must earn your own remission of sins and everlasting life and in addition help others to obtain salvation by giving them the benefit of your extra work holiness monks friars and all the rest of them brag that besides the ordinary requirements common to all christians they do the works of supererogation i e the performance of more than is required this is certainly a fiendish illusion no wonder paul employs such sharp language in his effort to recall the galatians from the doctrine of the false apostles he says to them don't you realize what you have done you have crucified christ anew because you seek salvation by the law true christ can no longer be crucified in person but he is crucified in us when we reject grace faith free remission of sins and endeavor to be justified by our own works or by the works of the law the apostle is incensed at the presumptuousness of any person who thinks he can perform the law of god to his own salvation he charges that person with the atrocity of crucifying anew the son of god verse two this only would i learn of you received ye the spirit by the works of the law 
or by the hearing of faith. There is a touch of irony in these words of the Apostle. Come on now, my smart Galatians, you who all of a sudden have become doctors, while I seem to be your pupil. Received ye the Holy Ghost by the works of the law, or by the preaching of the gospel? This question gave them something to think about, because their own experience contradicted them. You cannot say that you received the Holy Spirit by the law. As long as you were servants of the law, you never received the Holy Ghost. Nobody ever heard of the Holy Ghost being given to anybody, be he doctor or dunce, as a result of the preaching of the law. In your own case, you have not only learned the law by heart, you have labored with all your might to perform it. You most of all should have received the Holy Ghost by the law, if that were possible. You cannot show me that this ever happened. But as soon as the gospel came your way, you received the Holy Ghost by the simple hearing of faith before you ever had a chance to do a single good deed. Luke verifies this statement of Paul in the book of Acts. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Acts 10.44 And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Acts 11.15 Try to appreciate the force of Paul's argument, which is so often repeated in the book of Acts. That book was written for the express purpose of verifying Paul's assertion that the Holy Ghost comes upon men not in response to the preaching of the law, but in response to the preaching of the gospel. When Peter preached Christ at the first Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell upon the hearers, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Cornelius received the Holy Ghost while Peter was speaking of Christ. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. These are actual experiences that cannot very well be denied. When Paul and Barnabas returned to Jerusalem and reported what they had been able to accomplish among the Gentiles, the whole church was astonished, particularly when it heard that the uncircumcised Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost by the preaching of faith in Christ. Now, as God gave the Holy Ghost to the Gentiles without the law by the simple preaching of the gospel, so he gave the Holy Ghost also to the Jews, without the law, through faith alone. If the righteousness of the law were necessary unto salvation, the Holy Ghost would never have come to the Gentiles, because they did not bother about the law. Hence the law does not justify, but faith in Christ justifies. How was it with Cornelius? Cornelius and his friends, whom he had invited over to his house, do nothing but sit and listen. Peter is doing the talking. They just sit and do nothing. The law is far removed from their thoughts. They burn no sacrifices. They are not at all interested in circumcision. All they do is to sit and listen to Peter. Suddenly the Holy Ghost enters their hearts. His presence is unmistakable, for they spoke with tongues and magnified God. Right here we have one more difference between the law and the gospel. The law does not bring on the Holy Ghost, 
the gospel however brings on the gift of the holy ghost because it is the nature of the gospel to convey good gifts the law and the gospel are contrary ideas they have contrary functions and purposes to endow the law with any capacity to produce righteousness is to plagiarize the gospel the gospel brings donations it pleads for open hands to take what is being offered the law has nothing to give it demands and its demands are impossible our opponents come back at us with cornelius cornelius they point out was a devout man and one that feared god with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed god always because of these qualifications he merited the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the holy ghost so reason our opponents i answer cornelius was a gentile you cannot deny it as a gentile he was uncircumcised as a gentile he did not observe the law he never gave the law any thought for all that he was justified and received the holy ghost how can the law avail anything unto righteousness our opponents are not satisfied they reply granted that cornelius was a gentile and did not receive the holy ghost by the law yet the text plainly states that he was a devout man who feared god gave alms and prayed don't you think he deserved the gift of the holy ghost i answer cornelius had the faith of the fathers who were saved by faith in the christ to come if cornelius had died before christ he would have been saved because he believed in the christ to come but because the messiah had already come cornelius had to be apprised of the fact since christ has come we cannot be saved by faith in the christ to come but we must believe that he has come the object of peter's visit was to acquaint cornelius with the fact that christ was no longer to be looked for because he is here as to the contention of our opponents that cornelius deserved grace and the gift of the holy ghost because he was devout and just we say that these attributes are the characteristics of a spiritual person who already has faith in christ and not the characteristics of a gentile or of natural man luke first praises cornelius for being a devout and god-fearing man and then luke mentions the good works the alms and prayers of cornelius our opponents ignore the sequence of luke's words they pounce on this one sentence which gave much alms to the people because it serves their assertion that merit precedes grace the fact is that cornelius gave alms and prayed to god because he had faith and because of his faith in the christ to come peter was delegated to preach unto cornelius faith in the christ who had already come this argument is convincing enough cornelius was justified without the law therefore the law cannot justify take the case of naaman the syrian who was a gentile and did not belong to the race of moses yet his flesh was cleansed the god of israel was revealed unto him and he received the holy ghost naaman confessed his faith behold 
now i know that there is no god in all the earth but in israel second kings five fifteen naaman does not do a thing he does not busy himself with the law he was never circumcised that does not mean that his faith was inactive he said to the prophet elisha thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the lord in this thing the lord pardon thy servant that when my master goeth into the house of rimmon to worship there and he leaneth on my hand and i bow myself in the house of rimmon when i bow down myself in the house of rimmon the lord pardon thy servant in this thing what did the prophet tell him go in peace the jews do not like to hear the prophet say this what they exclaim should this heathen be justified without the law should he be made equal to us who are circumcised long before the time of moses god justified men without the law he justified many kings of egypt and babylonia he justified job nineveh that great city was justified and received the promise of god that he would not destroy the city why was nineveh spared not because it fulfilled the law but because nineveh believed the word of god the prophet jonah writes so the people of nineveh believed god and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth they repented nowhere in the book of jonah do you read that the ninevites received the law of moses or that they were circumcised or that they offered sacrifices all this happened long before christ was born if the gentiles were justified without the law and quietly received the holy spirit at a time when the law was in full force why should the law count unto righteousness now now that christ has fulfilled the law and yet many devote much time and labor to the law to the decrees of the fathers and to the traditions of the pope many of these specialists have incapacitated themselves for any kind of work good or bad by their rigorous attention to rules and laws all the same they could not obtain a quiet conscience and peace in christ but the moment the gospel of christ touches them certainty comes to them and joy and a right judgment i have good reason for enlarging upon this point the heart of man finds it difficult to believe that so great a treasure as the holy ghost is gotten by the mere hearing of faith the hearer likes to reason like this forgiveness of sins deliverance from death the gift of the holy ghost everlasting life are grand things if you want to obtain these priceless benefits you must engage in correspondingly great efforts and the devil says amen we must learn that forgiveness of sins christ and the holy ghost are freely granted unto us at the preaching of faith in spite of our sinfulness we are not to waste time thinking how unworthy we are of the blessings of god we are to know that it pleased god freely to give us his unspeakable gifts if he offers his gifts free of charge why not take them why worry about our lack of worthiness why not accept gifts 
with joy and thanksgiving. Right away, foolish reason is once more offended. It scolds us. When you say that a person can do nothing to obtain the grace of God, you foster carnal security. People become shiftless and will do no good at all. Better not preach this doctrine of faith. Rather, urge the people to exert and to exercise themselves in good works so that the Holy Ghost will feel like coming to them. What did Jesus say to Martha when she was very careful and troubled about many things, and could hardly stand to see her sister Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening? Martha, Martha, Jesus said, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. A person becomes a Christian not by working, but by hearing. The first step to being a Christian is to hear the gospel. When a person has accepted the gospel, let him first give thanks unto God with a glad heart and then let him get busy on the good works to strive for, works that really please God, and not man-made and self-chosen works. Our opponents regard faith as an easy thing. But I know from personal experience how hard it is to believe that the Holy Ghost is received by faith, is quickly said, but not so quickly done. All believers experience this difficulty. They would gladly embrace the word with a full faith, but the flesh deters them. You see, our reason always thinks it is too easy and cheap to have righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and life everlasting, by the mere hearing of the gospel. Verse 3. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Paul now begins to warn the Galatians against a twofold danger. The first danger is, Are ye so foolish that after ye have begun in the Spirit, ye would now end in the flesh? Flesh stands for the righteousness of reason which seeks justification by the accomplishments of the law. I am told that I began in the Spirit under the papacy but am ending up in the flesh because I got married. As though single life were a spiritual life, and married life a carnal life. They are silly. All the duties of a Christian husband, e.g., to love his wife, to bring up his children, to govern his family, etc., are the very fruits of the Spirit. The righteousness of the law, which Paul also terms the righteousness of the flesh, is so far from justifying a person that those who once had the Holy Spirit and lost him end up in the law to their complete destruction. Verse 4 Have ye suffered so many things in vain? The other danger against which the Apostle warns the Galatians is this. Have ye suffered so many things in vain? Paul wants to say, consider not only the good start you had and lost, but consider also the many things you have suffered for the sake of the gospel and for the name of Christ. 
you have suffered the loss of your possessions, you have borne reproaches, you have passed through many dangers of body and life, you endured much for the name of Christ, and you endured it faithfully. But now you have lost everything, the gospel, faith, and the spiritual benefit of your sufferings for Christ's sake. What a miserable thing to endure so many amictions for nothing. Verse 4. If it be yet in vain. The apostle adds the afterthought. If it be yet in vain, I do not despair of all hope for you, but if you continue to look to the law for righteousness, I think you should be told that all your past true worship of God and all the afflictions that you have endured for Christ's sake are going to help you not at all. I do not mean to discourage you altogether. I do hope you will repent and amend. Verse 5 He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. This argument, based on the experience of the Galatians, pleased the apostle so well that he returns to it after he had warned them against their twofold danger. You have not only received the Spirit by the preaching of the gospel, but by the same gospel you were enabled to do things. What things, we ask? Miracles. At least the Galatians had manifested the striking fruits of faith which true disciples of the gospel manifested in those days. On one occasion the apostle wrote, The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. This power revealed itself not only in readiness of speech, but in demonstrations of the supernatural ability of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel is preached unto faith, hope, love, and patience, God gives his wonder-working spirit. Paul reminds the Galatians of this. God had not only brought you to faith by my preaching, he had also sanctified you to bring forth the fruits of faith. And one of the fruits of your faith was that you loved me so devotedly that you were willing to pluck out your eyes for me. To love a fellow man so devotedly as to be ready to bestow upon him money, goods, eyes, in order to secure his salvation, such love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. These products of the Spirit you enjoyed before the false apostles misled you. The apostle reminds the Galatians, But you haven't manifested any of these fruits under the regime of the law. How does it come that you do not grow the same fruits now? You no longer teach truly. You do not believe boldly. You do not live well, you do not work hard, you do not bear things patiently. Who has spoiled you that you no longer love me, that you are not now ready to pluck out your eyes for me? What has happened to cool your personal interest in me? The same thing happened to me. When I began to proclaim the gospel, there were many, very many, who were delighted with our doctrine and had a good opinion of us. And now? Now they have succeeded in making us so odious to those who formerly loved us that they now hate us like poison. Paul argues, Your experience ought to teach you that the fruits of love do not grow on the stump of the law. You had not virtue prior to the preaching of the gospel, 
and you have no virtues now under the regime of the false apostles. We too may say to those who misname themselves evangelical and flout their new-found liberty, have you put down the tyranny of the Pope and obtained liberty in Christ through the Anabaptists and other fanatics? Or have you obtained your freedom from us who preach faith in Christ Jesus? If there is any honesty left in them, they will have to confess that their freedom dates from the preaching of the gospel. End of chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas, USA.